0: We've been in a series that I titled, Consider Your Ways. We started in the book of Haggai. And in the book of Haggai, we really talked about completing what we've started and our need to finish well. We're in the middle of a remodel on the sanctuary. And just as a reminder, August 20th is going to be our dedication service. August 20th is what we are aiming for. But what are we aiming for in the next? 30 years. The sanctuary in its current, well, former state, we had it for 30 years. What are we aiming for in the next 30 years? Last week, we were in the book of Malachi, chapter 1, and we talked about our need to honor God. Honoring God is vitally important. Today, we're going to be in the book of Malachi again. We're going to look at Malachi chapter 2, and the focus today, our focus will be on faithfulness to God. Faithfulness with a purpose, faithfulness with the purpose of discipling the next generation. Over the next 30 years as a church, we need to honor God. We need to be faithful that we might raise up the future generation that will lead our church. Our memory verse for the month is Colossians 3.23. Read with me. Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Colossians 3:23. I want to read to you the lyrics from a song called Find Us Faithful by Steve Green. Here's what it says: We're pilgrims on a journey of a narrow road, and those who've gone before us line the way, cheering on the faithful encouraging the weary, their lives a stirring testament to God's sustaining grace. Oh, may all who come before us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe and the lives we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. Surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us run the race, not only for the prize, but as those who've gone before us, let us leave to those behind us the heritage of faithfulness passed on through godly lives. After all our hopes and dreams have come and gone, and our children sift through all we've left behind, may the clues that they discover and the memories they uncover become the light that leads them to the road we each must find. We need disciple makers, who are faithful, who lead the next generation in faithfulness, who can boldly proclaim, follow me as I follow Christ. As Christians, we have a great responsibility. We're held to really very high expectations, great expectations. We must remain incredibly faithful. And if we do, we can look forward to having a lasting impact both now and into the future. The book of Malachi was written sometime between 450 and 430 BC. Remember, after Israel was a country, they split in half the, Israel, the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. The nation of Israel was conquered by the Assyrian Empire A couple hundred years later, the nation of Judah fell to the Babylonian Empire. While in captivity, the Medo-Persian Empire became the dominant power on the world stage. And in 539, the Emperor Cyrus made a decree. The Jews were to return back to the land and begin building their temple. That was in 539. But in 520, no progress had been made. The foundation had been laid. That was about it construction had stalled. Haggai entered the scene and Haggai declared, finish the work that God has sent you to do. Get it done. They finished it in pretty quick time. By 515 BC, they had finished it. But after finishing the work, mediocrity set in. Life wasn't easy. The Persian empire dominated the scene. Taxes were high. The people began to resent God. The people begin to fall away from God. Faithfulness began to wane. Malachi entered the scene. And in chapter 1, his first oracle, prophecy, or burden was that the people needed to honor God. His second burden is a call to faithfulness. Read with me. Malachi chapter two, verses one through 16. And now you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord almighty, I will send a curse on you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices And I gave them to him. This called for reverence. And he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, because he is a messenger of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty." so I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people, because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. The fact that we need to grasp out of this passage, out of these first nine verses, is greater responsibility yields greater expectations. Greater responsibility yields greater expectations. The priests had a great responsibility. They were charged with delivering God's message to the people, with administrating God's sacrificial system, God's covenants. The priests had a great responsibility. And in verses 1 and 2, Malachi comes down really hard on them. Malachi says, God may punish those who don't honor his name. The priests are warned pretty severely. Listen up. You priests who know God's law, listen up. This is for you. This applies to you. Those who have the word of God cannot afford to ignore the word of God. That's really what's going on in verses one and two. As Malachi is saying, you all know this, you priests, this is your job is to study God's word and you're acting like this. No, listen up. In verse two, God essentially says, resolve to honor my name. The NIV translation of really what the Hebrew, which would say, place it on your heart to give glory to my name. If we were to do a word for word translation, place it on your heart, take my name and the decision to honor it and place it on your very seat of being for a Jew at this time. The heart was considered the seat of being the decision-making place, the place of emotion, uh, we think of you know heart as being emotion, mind as being decision making. They lumped it all together. Put it on your heart to bring honor to my name. And in verses three through six, Malachi remembers or reminds them. This is especially true for those who should know better. The priests were expected to keep God front and center. Priesthood in Israel was an inherited position. It was something that was passed on from one generation to the next through their bloodline. And what we know from chapter 1 is the priests were pretty utterly failing in their job. Their responsibility was to honor God. Their responsibility was to take care of all of the sacrifices. Their responsibility was to teach God's law to the people. And they were failing. Knowing better was literally in their blood. It was inherited. They should have known better. But they were failing. The Levites, the Levites, an inherited position as well. Descendants from the tribe of Levi, God's appointed servants over the tabernacle, were failing. They were failing to do what God had told them to do, to teach the people to raise up the next generation. And the words that God has for them are pretty graphic and pretty severe in verse three. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices. I mean, it's pretty graphic. It's pretty severe. There's actually a wordplay here in the Hebrew. Um, Descendants is the word seed, which is uh, Zerah in Hebrew. And dung is the word zeroah. So Malachi is actually using a poetic device. He's saying, your seed, your descendants, I'm going to change it just a little bit and it's going to be like dung. That's, that's kind of graphic. That's severe. God takes seriously the priest's job to pass on his word. The priests knew better. They failed and they were suffering a significant punishment. Verse 7 tells us that they should have been teaching the people of God. Verse 8 tells us they weren't. And so God had made them despised. We have a responsibility to pass on God's word. And it's a responsibility we should take seriously. 1 Peter 2.9, if you want to turn there, just so that you all know that this is a shared responsibility, 1 Peter 2.9 addresses all those who are Christians, who follow Jesus, who've accepted Jesus as their personal Savior. Peter says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. At the time of Malachi, the priests had a special job. They inherited, through their familial line, that responsibility. Today, we as Christians are the royal priesthood. We are God's priests, which means we have that responsibility to pass on to the next generation, to teach the word of God, to teach people to honor God, to place the glory of God's name on our hearts that we might show him honor. James 3.1, I think is one of the most sobering verses in the entire Bible. You want to turn to James 3.1 real quick. James 3.1. There's not many verses in the Bible that keep me up at night. This is one. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We are the priests of God. As Christians, we are the priests of God. We have a responsibility to teach the next generation. So, let me give you an action step from this point. Consider your responsibilities to preserve the knowledge of God and ask yourself if you are meeting expectations. Are you preserving knowledge of God? Are you passing on to the next generation who God is and what he has done? That's my vision for us in the next 30 years as a church. As we move back into the sanctuary, let's put our focus on honoring God, on preserving the knowledge of God, passing that on. That might mean taking somebody 10 years younger than you, spending some time with them, teaching them how it looks to walk as a Christian in the next 10 years of their life. It might mean taking somebody 20, 30 years younger than you, befriending them. But we have a responsibility to preserve the knowledge of God. Let's go back to Malachi. And let's look at verses 10 through 12 now. Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. Do we not all have one father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign God. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty." Our first point was greater responsibility, greater expectations. And here what I see is greater responsibility, greater faithfulness. We have a great responsibility, and it should lead us to be faithful in greater and more profound ways. In Malachi 1, the structure Malachi uses is he makes a statement, and then he follows it up with sort of rhetorical questions. um, with feigned ignorance that the people would say you know god would say you are not honoring me and the people would say well how are we not honoring you god here malachi just gets right to it and he really hammers in rapid fire succession and the point of his questions is faithfulness matters and you're not being faithful here are the ways you're not being faithful first of all in verse 10 is malachi's golden rule Be faithful to your brother in your actions. Why do I call this Malachi's golden rule? Because really what Malachi is saying is, as Christians, we all belong to God. We're all on equal footing, saved by grace. Here, they were all on equal footing under the covenant that God had given Israel. And so we shouldn't be showing partiality. We should, in fact be showing faithfulness to one another. We should be focused on faithfulness. Now, how does this all fit together? I think as we look at preserving knowledge, remember that was the first point, preserving knowledge and passing it on, in order to do that well, we're going to need to be faithful. See, those younger than us have an extraordinary superpower. It's an extraordinary superpower. They see our mistakes. And if we fail to be faithful, they see it. If we fail to be consistent, they see it. And they wonder, is it genuine? Is that real? You know, dad told me I'm supposed to be honest, but he just lied to his friend over there. Dad told me I'm supposed to be faithful to church, but he just skipped it. I know it's hard, but faithfulness matters. And being faithful to one another is a key aspect of verse 10. For the modern day Christian, we need to realize that everyone who has accepted Jesus as their savior is a child of God and deserves our faithfulness. But it's even more than just faithfulness to one another. In verses 11 and 12, it's faithfulness in your obligations. Faithfulness in your obligations. That's the point that's really coming up here. You see, there was a major problem that was occurring. Jews, remember, had returned from Babylon under the reign of Cyrus, had been placed back in the land. And... As happens, people find themselves attracted to other people, and the Jews began being unfaithful in their marriages. They also became unfaithful in who they chose to marry. And we're going to really hammer in on this. The problem that happened is people were choosing relationships with people who didn't believe in God, who didn't worship Yahweh, those who followed foreign gods. They were entering into relationship with people that didn't honor God. And the reality is those relationships were incredibly damaging. You see, the Jews had a great responsibility. A great responsibility even an obligation, to make God first. And those of you who are married know that it's really hard to make God first if your spouse isn't on board. It's really hard to make anything a priority if your spouse isn't on board. And the Jews had a big problem. As they came back into the land, they began marrying those who didn't believe in God. These ungodly relationships were destroying the Jews. They were eliminating so many ways that they could worship God. Now you might think, all right, so what's the application here? What I said is be faithful to your God in your obligations. In other words, Don't enter into obligations that you cannot keep in faithfulness to God. One immediate, immediate application for those of you who are younger, who aren't married yet, I'm going to go out and I'm going to say, you have no business dating or even considering a relationship with somebody who is not a believer in Jesus Christ. Don't do it. Don't even date them. I don't care if you're in middle school. Don't do it. It will cause problems. Let me go even though a step further. It's not just those who don't have a relationship with Jesus. It's those who are walking with Jesus are the only candidates for relationship. Why do I say that? Because there are lots of people that will say that they know Jesus. And later in life, you will see they don't they never did no relationships matter obligations matter okay since i said that let me now talk to those who maybe have a relationship with someone who's not a believer we're going to actually talk about 1st corinthians chapter 7 probably in september 1st corinthians 7 verses 12 through 14 says if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as as it are, they are holy. What Paul is saying, if you have already entered into a relationship with an unbeliever, then you don't have to get out of it because your commitments matter. But what I will say is if you are married to an unbeliever, your primary prayer should be for the salvation of your spouse. That should dominate your life. So, let me try to put this all laid out. Let's go with an action step. Consider your responsibilities. Do they demonstrate faithfulness to God and man? If you are an unmarried individual, faithfulness to God and man means that you will not even consider a relationship with somebody who doesn't know Christ as their personal savior. If you are a married individual, faithfulness to God and man means that God is your first priority. And your relationship with man or woman, that comes second, which means in order to get those in the right order, you are praying for the unsaved person that you have a relationship with. Hopefully that lays out okay and you sort of understand because we're going to go even deeper here in just a minute because the passage continues. But consider your relationships. Do they demonstrate faithfulness to God and man? All of this really does matter. This isn't just arbitrary. Malachi isn't just saying things for the sake of saying things. Let's read verses 13 through 16 and sort of see how Malachi puts this puzzle together. Malachi says, another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why is it because the Lord is witness between you and the wife of your youth? You've been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Let me try to pull all of this together. We have a greater responsibility greater responsibility, greater impact. Verses 13 through 14 is about past commitments. Your past commitments do matter. The things that you've said you do in the past matter. In the case of Malachi, what he's saying is the past relationships, the Jewish women that you married back in Babylon, that matters. You made a commitment. Your past commitments, whether they be marriage, whether they be contracts, whether they be any past commitments you've made, they matter. Why? Because our faithfulness matters to God. Really what's going on here is a theological truth, which we can back with the scriptural truth, which has an applied truth, and that has a principalizing truth. So let me, let me sort of walk through all of those. The theological truth. The reason why faithfulness matters stems from a theological truth. God is faithful. That's a theological truth. God is a promise keeper. God is a covenant keeper. God honors the commitments that he has made. We see this throughout scripture. That theological truth is the foundation for our own faithfulness. The scriptural truth is that God seeks obedience. God wants us to be obedient. 1 Samuel 15:22 Samuel responding to Saul says does the lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the lord to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams theologically god is faithful scripturally god seeks obedience so the applied truth is that you're expected to be faithful because God is faithful and he seeks us to be obedient to him. For the Jews, the application was, stop messing around in your marriages. Be faithful in your marriage. So let's give this a principle. The principalizing truth is that we are to keep any and all commitments that we've made because we're supposed to pattern ourselves after our faithful God. Keep your commitments, because you're supposed to pattern yourself after your faithful God. So that was the past. Malachi then goes into the present in verse 15. And, sorry, not the present, the future in verse 15. And the future that Malachi gives us is that the next generation is the future. So verse 15 is probably one of the harder passages in Hebrew to translate. I I think that we've gotten a pretty good translation here. Um, They've made some decisions in their translation, but the point of verse 15 really seems to be God is seeking for the next generation to honor him. God wants the next generation to know who God is. And in order to have that next generation know who God is, faithfulness matters. Faithfulness matters for the next generation. Has not one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So, Be on your guard, and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. Be on guard. Be careful. God's looking for you to be faithful. God's looking for your faithfulness to impact the next generation. Faithfulness is important because it will lead the next generation to recognize God. In general, we need to realize that whether we're talking about faithfulness in a marriage or faithfulness in something else, the next generation is watching us and will be impacted by our faithfulness. Verse 16 is the present. You have a responsibility for faithfulness. That's the whole point here. Verse 16 the man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. Now, if you have, if you want to talk through it at some point, I'd be happy to explain. I think verse 16 is a poor translation, okay? I, I think that actually the uh, King James does a better job translating verse 16. Uh, the ESV has a better translation of this as well. It, it really, in the Hebrew, I think you can make a pretty strong argument. should be translated as God hates divorce. Why? Because divorce violates faithfulness. Now, are there cases where divorce is appropriate? I I think there are. I think that there are biblical cases where divorce is allowed, but that doesn't mean God doesn't hate it. God hates divorce because divorce destroys faithfulness. And faithfulness is what God cares about. God cares about our faithfulness so that the next generation might look upon us and see that we are faithful. The summary statement of all of this, be faithful that we might raise up the next generation. I'm give you an action step. Determine to demonstrate faithfulness to those who are watching and learning from you. It's a hard passage. There's lots going on here. There's lots of hard theological concepts going on here. We have priests who have failed to preserve godly knowledge. We have Jewish men who have destroyed their families by breaking relationships with their wives. We have theological statements about faithfulness and divorce. There's a lot going on here. But if we put it all together, the point really is, faithfulness is going to be the key to raising the next generation. Faithfulness is how we disciple the next generation. Faithfulness is what they're looking to us for. The next generation is watching us. If we are faithful, they will see it and they too will reciprocate such faithfulness. So what of those who maybe have failed in faithfulness at some point? Maybe have failed in a marriage at some point. Maybe have failed to honor God at some point. We never can lose sight of the fact that our God is a redeeming God that takes things that are broken and restores them, that takes failures of the past and redeems them and makes them stronger. It's interesting, the book of Malachi is the last words of prophecy The last statements recorded in Scripture before Jesus comes. And Jesus, the faithful Savior, really redeems all of this because He takes that which is broken and restores it. So, over the next 30 years, let's aim to be faithful that the generation that follows might look upon our faithfulness and grow. We forget the past. And we determine from this point forward to be faithful followers of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you are the faithful God. The faithful Savior who has given us salvation, who has redeemed our brokenness, who provides forgiveness for sins. And Father, I pray that as a church, for the next 30 years, we would be faithful. We'd be faithful to you, that we would be faithful in our relationships, that we would demonstrate faithfulness to the next generation, that they would be able to look upon us and find our faithfulness and encouragement that as they go forward in life, they would be able to look and say, I'm following Pastor Nathan as he follows Christ. I'm following mom as she follows Christ. I'm following my uncle as he follows Christ. Father, may we be that sort of a faithful church where we can truly tell the next generation, follow us as we follow Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.